Well, that's an old, old song. It brings back a lot of memories. And we hope you've met the Master. Amen. Open your Bibles this evening to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. I'm glad the Bible not only tells us how we can get to heaven, but it tells us how we ought to be living while we're on our way to heaven. You ever stop and think if we just believed like some people that that there's no such thing as absolute truth and, and we just threw the Bible out as, uh, as though it was just another book? Without the Bible as the standard, it would leave us living in a world without any sure standard. Nothing to rely upon. Your idea would be, well, just as good as mine, and mine as good as yours. And we would have to conclude, as many have, that nobody's really wrong. It's, you know, just a matter of perspective. Why Everything's relative. That's, that's what a lot of folks believe, and I... I don't know how anything could be more stupid than that. The Bible is indeed a book of absolute truth. God cannot lie. Whether He's talking about getting to heaven or whether He's talking about the way that we ought to live while we're on our way to heaven. And if we could ever begin to understand that when God gives us certain commandments... And whenever God gives us a commission to go and to do and, and to love one another and so forth, and when God regulates our life by His Word, He's imposing those standards upon us for our own good. God's not a joy killer. God's not trying to make people miserable. God has your best interest at heart. And it's like the old saying, you know, if, you know, if, uh, if, if you were God, you would want exactly what God wants for you. Let that sink in a little bit. I mean, if you knew as much as God does, I mean, if, if, it, if you, if you were in God's shoes, you'd want exactly the same thing. Now, I've said all of that to say this. Here in the first part of this chapter, Paul has been speaking about the subject of the family. Actually, he started a few verses before that, and he's spoken about the responsibility of the wives and the responsibility of the husbands and the responsibility of the children and then the responsibility of the fathers and the parents in general. But now when we get down to verse number 8, there is another group that he addresses. He says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. 
Anytime you're reading the Bible, it's helpful. In fact, it is essential that you consider who is being addressed. You need to realize who is speaking. In this case, it's the Apostle Paul speaking as God's prophet, God's messenger. But notice who he's speaking to. He's speaking here, it says, to these people that are identified as servants. So he's talking to people that are Christians. These folks are in the church at Ephesus. They are Christian people, but these are the servants. Now, these folks are not the same as those that we call employees. Some have made that mistake and tried to liken them unto employees today, and and there's a considerable difference. This word here that's translated into the English servant literally means slaves. These people were either bought or born as slaves. But now God has saved them, but understand that they are still not set free from their position as slaves. And I know that we can argue about, well, they should be, but they're not. That's the point. And notice as Paul is dealing with this, if you'll read through this, you'll notice that he doesn't say anything here about trying to erase the social and cultural distinctions. He doesn't tell them to get out there and fight against slavery. Nothing said about that. Now, again, I want to reiterate, that does not mean that slavery is right. I'm just telling you the way that it was in that day. And these people in the church at Ephesus, some of them were masters, and there were some of them who were slaves. Now, you try to picture yourself In their place. We talked about that this morning, where Ezekiel said, I sat where they sat. Well, tonight you try to picture yourself as being one of those slaves in that day. These are people that know nothing about the joy of freedom as we do today. Every small detail of their life was regimented by their master owner. And I ask you, who among us could live contentedly under such hardships as this? I mean, most of us are prone to complain about just about everything and how thankful we ought to be that we live here in America and that we enjoy the freedom that we have. Nobody ever had it better than we do today. But these people, They're slaves. God's children. But they're slaves. Now, no doubt, so far as we've talked about the family, you've probably found yourself in a difficult situation. It might be that some of the ladies found it very difficult to respond affirmatively to the commandment, Wives, you are to obey and to honor your husband. You're to recognize him as the authority in your life. 
I got to agree with the ladies, man, that'd be tough. It's not easy. But yet, that's what the Bible says. And then I suppose that, fellas, that maybe you've had a difficult time with that part where it said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. It's not always easy to put yourself way down the list and to put your wife and your children ahead of self. Oh, I know we all like to pretend that we do. Right? We write all of those warm, fuzzy things in the birthday cards and stuff like that. We all want to leave that impression that, oh, I love you with all of my heart. I'd swim the ocean and climb the mountain. I'd just do anything for you. (laughs) Well, you know, there's probably a lot of things on her list that we could start doing that would, you know... Give her a little bit of evidence to cling to. Are are you with me? Listen, it's tough to love people that way, ahead of yourself. And then we come down to the part where it talks about the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord and honor thy father and mother. Any of you kids have trouble with that? (laughs) Really? Do you? Sure you do. Especially whenever you get to about junior high, you know, and all of a sudden you, you, you're learning the new math at school and dad's so dumb he can't even help you with your homework. And all of a sudden you start thinking, well, I'm, I'm smarter than dad. And all of a sudden you start thinking you know what's best for yourself and, uh, and you become resentful. You see, that's tough sometimes because, listen, listen, not all children have God-loving, kind, gracious parents. I feel so sorry for the way that some of these kids are raised. It just breaks my heart to see them in homes where there's no display of love and affection from their, from their parents. It ought not to be that way. And yet the Bible tells those children to honor and obey their parents. That's difficult. But we come to something, I think, that is, would be, for most of us, far more difficult. You're a slave. You're going to get up in the morning when your master says you can get up. You'll eat what they put on the table. You'll do what they tell you to do. There'll be no such thing as you having free time where you can go off to the ball game or the lake or, or, you know, vacation whenever you want to. Your freedom is gone. You are a slave. Your master is dictating to you every move you make. And some preacher stands up in your face with the Bible in his hand and has the audacity to tell you that God says that you are to live contentedly even as a slave. Is it getting difficult yet? 
I think most of us would have a difficult time with that. Now, thank God we don't have any slaves here tonight. Isn't that wonderful? We live in a country where slavery no longer exists. Thank God for that. But from this, we can learn certain principles that apply to us as God's people. Because if you're a child of God, then you ought to be a servant of God. And so we can learn some things about our responsibility to God. A message for servants. That's what this is. Notice, first of all, look at verse 5. I want you to notice the responsibilities set forth here in our text. The responsibilities of a servant. And Paul says, Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. And again, I say that's not easy to do because most people despise somebody telling them what to do. When I was a teenager, a song came out that became my very favorite. It was called Rebel Rouser by Dwayne Eddy and his twangy guitar. And that, that song just characterized my life because that's the way back then that I like to think about myself. I'm a rebel rouser. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'll never forget when I was 16 years old taking a half a pint of Jim Beam whiskey and setting it down at the supper table and telling Mom and Dad, you know I've been drinking everywhere else. From now on, I'm going to drink anywhere I want to and I'm not going to hide it from you anymore. And you see, young people have the idea that there's something cute or something macho about that. Now, let me tell you what that really is. There's something stupid about that. A lot of people go through life making themselves miserable because they've never learned to respect the authority that's over them. And if there's going to be social order and human happiness, there must be authority. Without it, there's going to be nothing but chaos. Authority. God set the system up where certain people are in authority. And you know, it's, uh, I've noticed that some people who will obey their boss at, at work won't obey the authority God put over them. For example, here's some young person in rebellion against mom and dad, won't pay any attention to what they say. All of a sudden, they get a job working at McDonald's or Jack in the Box or somewhere like that, and they go to work, and the boss says, you be here at 9 o'clock in the morning, and what happens? They're there, 9 o'clock in the morning. The boss says, you don't get off until 5 o'clock in the evening. Guess what? They stay there till 5 o'clock in the evening. The boss says you can't have the weekend off. Guess what? They don't get the weekend off. Isn't it amazing that those same young people that will toe the line for the authority at work totally ignore the authority at home that God put over them? 
Isn't it amazing that the wife who resents her husband's authority and does everything she can to just make it plain and clear that, buddy, you're not going to tell me what to do, and she goes to work and it's nothing but sweet stuff to the boss. A lot of women talk much more kind to her boss than, than to her own husband. A lot of men that do the same thing. Are you with me? We're talking about responsibility here. And then notice he goes on and he says that we're to do this, notice verse 5 again, with fear and trembling. In other words, the servant is to take great care that they please their master. In other words, you don't take your duties lightly. You're to be serious about your responsibilities with fear and trembling as though you might displease them. And then notice again, he enlarges upon this by saying, not only with fear and trembling, but in singleness of your heart. That means that there must not be any duplicity. In other words, it means this. It means that you've got to get rid of the hypocrisy. It means what Jesus said, that no man can serve two masters. You can't divide your loyalties. I mean, look, if you're working for one company, you can't pledge your loyalty to another company. Are you with me? I mean, whoever is in charge, they're in charge. And notice he says that you are to obey them, you are to serve them in fear and trembling and with singleness of heart. Make it your purpose to please them. Now, notice this. As unto Christ. Now, this is what makes the difference. They were to serve their masters. Now, think about this. They were to serve their masters as though they were serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And he explains in verse number 6 and verse number 7. You see, this is telling us that God demands not only the proper action, but the right motive. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Right? Wives, submit yourself to your husbands, what? As the church does to Christ, who is the head. Now think about it. He says, whatever you do by way of fulfilling your responsibility, you do it as though you're doing it for Christ. Remember when Jesus said, and he was speaking about visiting those that are in prison and ministering to those that are in need, giving a cup of cold water to the thirsty, and he made this statement. He said, whenever you do this, insomuch that you've done it unto the least of one of these, you've done it unto me. Picture yourself standing face to face with the authority that is over you, the person you're responsible to. And then you just picture in your mind Christ standing between the two of you. He's invisible. They don't seem, but he's visible to you. And so as you look at the other person, you can't focus on the other person without making eye contact with Christ standing between the two of you. 
So whatever you say and whatever tone of voice you use and whatever you do toward that other person, before it gets to him, it has to go through Christ. Do you reckon that would make any difference in what our attitude is? Do whatever you do as though you're doing it to the Lord. That changes everything. For the housewife, it puts sunshine in the soap suds because she's no longer just washing dishes. She's no longer just taking care of her family. Now she's doing what she does in response to the need of Jesus Christ. The supper she prepares is what she would prepare though Christ were there. I don't think I'm stretching anything whenever I draw this comparison, do you? I mean, isn't that what it says? Do whatever you do with, notice, with fear and trembling and singles of heart, and you do it as though you're doing it to Christ. That'd change the tone of our voices, would it not? i got to tell you, it bothers me the way some fellows talk to their wives. I mean, I just, I'm just going to tell you that. It may not bother you, and it might not bother her. It bothers me. You say, well, if it doesn't bother her, why should it bother you? Well, maybe it shouldn't. I'm just telling you it does. Because I believe there ought to be respect one for another. And the very tone of our voice a lot of times speaks volumes about our character. You wouldn't use that tone were you speaking with Christ. Don't talk to your wife like she's a dirty dog. Now, that's the responsibility, but notice the requirements. And we need to see how this relates to us. Our situation is a lot different. We're not literally slaves as, as these people were, but the principle's the same. And there's three things, three requirements here that are necessary if we're going to fulfill our responsibility. The first requirement is that we seek to glorify Christ. And notice here, he says that they are to obey their masters, notice, as the servants of Christ. And the Bible is full of verses that speak about us glorifying the Lord. You see, that's our main responsibility. In fact, if you go back and study the Bible, you'll find that the purpose of creation was that God might be glorified. The purpose in the establishment of the nation of Israel is that God might be glorified. The purpose of the church, Ephesians 3.21, is that Christ might be glorified. The purpose of every believer is what? Exactly the same, that Christ might be glorified. So, it's required of me in everything I do to do it in such a way that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my main responsibility. And if I fail there, I fail altogether. 
If I could preach so good that thousands would flock here in the, you know, and we'd have to build a new building every year. If I could rake in tons of money and be the most successful preacher in the state in the eyes of man, if I don't do what I do for the sole purpose of bringing glory to God, I'm nothing but a failure. You can just chisel that one word on my tombstone when I die, because that tells the story. Failure. In all that we do, we are to glorify Him. In everything. You see, that takes us beyond the four walls of the church building. That Listen, when you get to work, you have this same requirement. One of the greatest compliments I, to me that I ever received was I'd, I'd been going fishing with this fellow several years ago, and he came back and he was talking to a bunch of guys about the fishing trip, and he said, you know, the thing that I really respect about Brother Stone is that he's the same down there on the lake as he is, you know, when he's here. Now, that's not completely true. You think I'm impatient here, but I, I, I do. I, I change a bit when I get on the lake fishing. I, so I've got to confess that. But, you know, he's talking about general behavior. I don't start cussing and drinking and doing bad stuff down on the lake because nobody's there to see it. I, I try to behave the same way. Look, that, that's our responsibility, to glorify him, whether, whether you're playing softball. Lord, help us. i, I got to tell you, if you want to see some cases of bad sportsmanship, let me tell you, the best place to go to see that is a church softball league. The worst sports I've ever seen in my life have been church teams out there. I mean, you get a bunch of guys in the first place, half of them don't know the rules, and they don't even know how to play. They don't know what they're doing, and they get out there pretending they're a bunch of experts, and, you know, so the umpire makes a bad call, and they get in his face. Look, I've seen them, I remember several years ago, I was on the field, our team was playing another team, and this one nutcase comes out there with a ball bat. I mean, we're about to rumble. I thought I was back with the motorcycle gang crowd. And he's going to fight with a baseball bat. <laughs> well, there's not much glorifying God in that. But not only must we glorify God, we must be zealous. And that's implied through all of this. And in other words, there's no room for half-heartedness in the life of a Christian. A lot of folks go through life and they're tired and they're bored because they go through life dragging their feet. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, now that covers it all, right? Listen to this. Do it with thy might. In Colossians, the next little letter, past Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 23, And whatsoever ye do, does that include everything? Absolutely. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. 
You see, a good servant is willing to work. Notice this phrase here in verse 7, doing service. Doing service. That's what a servant does. And so we need to ask ourselves, is that what I'm doing? Are you doing service for Christ? Well, let me help you out. How have you served Christ this last week? What have you done? Now, we've got some folks that have. Wednesday night, Brother Barry comes down here. He feels like his body is absolutely falling apart. He feels horrible and terrible. He leaves work, comes down here. Uh, he's doing service for Christ. He's serving. He's doing something. He's ministering to people. What did you do this week to serve Christ? Oh, you say, well, I attended church. No, no, no. You did that for you. You're not serving Christ. I know that's obedience to Christ, but you didn't do anything to serve others just by being here. I'm glad you're here. You know, we ought to be here every time the doors are open. But there's more to serving Christ than just showing up and Filling space in a, in a, I started to say a pew, but a chair. So again, the question is, how have you served Christ this week? What did you do? I, you don't, I don't want you to tell me. I want you to think. Did you do anything to serve Christ this week? Saturday morning had a men's fellowship. Brother Rome came and man, he had the spread out there. I mean, Great food. He, he does that every time. In fact, I sent him an email and I told him, I said, look, I'll go by and get some donuts and stuff and you don't have to work. I, uh, worry about it. I'll just make it easy on you this month. Sent me another email back saying, no, no, I'm, I've got it. I'm going to take care of it. Just insisted on doing it. He serves Christ by serving somebody. Our Sunday school teachers and I could, back here in the back in the sound room and people involved. But the question is, what did you do this week to serve Christ? Well, what did you do last week? So the question is, are you really serving Him at all? Notice He says that we are to do it with all of our might. Now look at verse 8 again. Not only should we seek to, re, to glorify Him and be zealous about it, but notice we need a sense of accountability. Notice what he says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Nobody is free to do as they please. Remember what Paul said in Romans fourteen twelve: Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You're, look, you don't have to answer to me. I know, you know, I get up here as a preacher and I've got you at a disadvantage because you're just sitting there and I'm pounding on you and I'm hammering away at you and I'm using these truths trying to get you to think and I'm trying to challenge you and I'm trying to encourage you to do what the Bible says and to serve Christ. But make no mistake about it, you're not accountable to me. I, look, you don't have to answer to me, but you are accountable you're accountable to God. Every one of us will give an account of how we live our life, and there's no escaping that. Now, if you look very 
carefully there in verse 8, you notice a third thing. Not only the responsibility and not only the requirements to fulfill the responsibility, but did you notice he also speaks about the reward of servanthood? And he's basically using the same old principle that you reap what you sow. In other words, the same whatever you do, it's going to come back to you. The songwriter wrote that old song that says, It pays to serve Jesus. And it really does. It pays to serve Jesus. I've been preaching now a little over 44 years, and I'm telling you, it pays. Listen, when I say it pays, I'm talking about things better than money, by the way. I'm not one bit reluctant to speak about the matter of rewards in regards to Christian service. I've heard some preachers try to leave the impression that, why, we ought to just serve God and never think about the rewards. Excuse me? What did Jesus say? Jesus said we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Now, I'll grant you our primary motivation is not rewards. Our primary motivation is that we love God and we want to glorify God and we ought to do that regardless of whether there's any rewards or not. But as a secondary And might I add, a very, very powerful motivation is the fact that it pays to serve Jesus. There are present rewards. When I say there are present rewards, I'm trying to look at the benefits of doing what God tells us to do. And we could spend an hour here, but let me just, let me just give you a little brief synopsis, just a little snapshot of three things, three benefits. Number one, it gives purpose to the menial task of life. When you make God's glory your goal in all that you do, then everything takes on an entirely new, different, better meaning. Everything is different. Why? Because now it all relates to Christ. Secondly, not only does it give purpose to the menial task of life, but it also brings good things from the Lord. We reap what we sow. I don't know anybody here that would deny that. We see evidence of it every day. You reap what you sow. Thirdly, It has a powerful, positive effect on other people. Do you have any idea how much effect you have on other people? It's huge, folks. Your attitude when you come to church, just the... Your countenance and the tone of your voice and everything you do affects the other person in some way. Right? Some of you have been affected today in a positive way, and you feel much better about life and much better about yourself because somebody here in this building today 
was a blessing to you. You see, whenever we do what we ought to do, it always brings out the best in somebody else. So there are those present rewards, but listen, there are the permanent rewards also. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. You never spend your life in vain when you spend your life in service to God. Now think with me, I'm almost through. When I spend my life serving God with the right attitude, based on the promises that I have from God's Word, then my service becomes more than a debt I owe. My service becomes an investment that I make. Right? If God promised to reward in heaven, what I've done here on earth. Every time I serve God, whatever I do for the glory of God, then I'm going to be rewarded. It's an investment. Let me ask you a personal question. How are you investing your life? Think about it. Somebody said life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it once. That's it. Just one time. How are you spending your life? How are you investing your life? Think about that tonight, folks. Listen, every child of God ought to be a servant of God. If you're not serving God, you're failing God. Now, one last thought, and I'm done. Listen carefully. You cannot become a servant of God until you become a son of God or a child of God. In other words, you can't do anything for God until, first of all, God becomes your father. You can break your back doing religious stuff. You can get baptized down here in the creek till every tadpole knows your name. You can crawl on your hands and knees and give every penny you've got to the church. And none of it is acceptable to God. Remember what the Lord said to the children of Israel? when He was talking about their worship service and their singing and all of the beautiful instrumental music and all of that. And He called it noise. Get that noise away from me. It's making me sick to my stomach. Wouldn't it be horrible to spend your life and for it to all be in vain and for none of it to be pleasing to God and no reward awaiting you in heaven until you receive God as your Father? You can't do anything to serve God. You can't please God. That's why salvation is by grace through faith. only way you can get saved is what? Just simply trusting in what Jesus did for you when He died on the cross. Aren't you glad He paid the sin debt? There's no reason anybody have to go to hell. No reason whatsoever. I mean, the worst among us, the worst person that you can imagine, the most vile, sinful, filthy human being on this earth can become a child of God by putting their faith 
in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you right here now tonight to trust Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, I, I don't know what to do. I, I've never hardly been in church. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, you come and we'll take the Bible and we'll help you any way that we can. But listen, you really don't need my help. You understand plain, simple English. Here it is, straight from the Bible. Jesus said, if any man come unto me, he said, I will in no wise cast out. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, if you believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you could do that, right? Believe. You could trust Him if you would. And that's all it takes for you to become a child of God. And then you become one of His servants. And your life becomes an investment for all of eternity. Trusting tonight while we stand together. Father, how we thank You for being willing to accept us into Your family. How we thank You tonight, Heavenly Father, for making provision to have all of our sins forgiven. To know that we have a home in heaven. To know that we belong to You. How thankful we are. And when we were lost and undone and unable to change our position, You gave Your Son who died on the cross to save us from our sins. I pray tonight, Heavenly Father, that nobody would leave this building without having received Christ as their Savior. And for all of us who have been saved, help us, Lord, to be serious about being a servant and do those things that You would have us to do. For we beg it in Jesus' name. And now as we lift our voice in song and... and uh, Prepare for the baptismal service. And uh, where's Brother Rick at? Is he all right, Brother Rick? You just go back here to, uh, to Brother Rick Morris here. And uh, Brother Rick's going to take him up there and get him ready. Let's sing together, Brother Nolan.
Jesus, I come. Will you come to Him tonight? Let's just bow our heads together as the musicians play softly and the invitation continues. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass anyone tonight, but I want you to, I want you to think about your condition and ask yourself this question. Do I know that if I died tonight that I would go to heaven? How would you answer? Do you know? And maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, I don't think anybody can really know for sure. But the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. You can know that God's your Father. You can know you'd go to heaven. And if you don't know that, and you want to know, would you come right now? Just get out of your seat and come say, Preacher, I, I want to get this settled. Like little Nathan did. Get it settled. I, I don't want to leave here not knowing. Thank you. You may be seated, and Brother Nolan is going to lead us in some music just before our baptism. Let's turn to number 473, 473. 